0: Section 13 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 13. Sundry arrivals in 1859. Sarah Ann Mills, Boonesboro. Caroline Gasway, Mount Airy. Levin Holden, Laurel, William James Connor, with his wife, child, and four brothers, James Lazarus, Delaware, Richard Williams, Richmond, Virginia, Sidney Hopkins and Henry Wheeler, Harve de Grace. Sarah Mills set out for freedom long before she reached womanhood, being about sixteen years of age. She stated that she had been very cruelly treated, that she was owned by a man named Joseph O'Neill a tax collector and a very bad man under said o'neill she had been required to chop wood curry horses work in the field like a man and all one winter she had been compelled to go barefooted three weeks before sarah fled her mistress was called away by death nevertheless sarah could not forget how badly she had been treated by her while living according to sarah's testimony the mistress was no better than her husband sarah came from Boonesboro, near hagerstown maryland leaving her mother and other relatives in that neighborhood it was gratifying to know that such bond women so early got beyond the control of slaveholders yet girls of her age from having had no pains taken for her improvement appealed loudly for more than common sympathy and humanity but rarely ever found it on the contrary their paths were beset with great danger caroline gasway after being held to service by somerset walters until she had reached her twenty-seventh year was forced by hard treatment and the love of freedom to make an effort for deliverance her appearance at once indicated although she was just out of the prison-house that she possessed more than an ordinary share of courage and that she had had a keen insight into the system under which she had been oppressed She was of a dark chestnut color, well formed, with a large and high forehead, indicative of intellect. She had much to say of the ways and practices of slaveholders, of the wrongs of the system. She dwelt especially upon her own situation as a slave, and the character of her master. She told not only of his ill-treatment of her, but described his physical appearance as well. He was a spare-made man, with a red head and quick temper. He would go off in a flurry like a flash of powder, and would behave shamefully towards the slaves when in these fits of passion. His wife, however, Caroline confessed, was of a different temper, and was a pretty good kind of woman. If he had been anything like his wife in disposition, most likely Caroline would have remained in bondage. Fortunately, Caroline was a single woman. She left her mother. Levin Holden, having been sold only a few weeks prior to his escape, was so affected by the change which awaited him, that he was irresistibly led to seek the underground railroad. Previous to being sold, he was under a master by the name of Jonathan Bailey, who followed farming in the neighborhood of Laurel, Delaware, and as a master, was considered a moderate man, was also well to do in the world. But the new master he could not endure, as he had already let the secret out that Levin was to be sent south. Levin had a perfect horror of a more southern latitude. He made up his mind that he would try his luck for Canada. Levin was a man of twenty-seven years of age, smart, dark color, of a good size for all sorts of work. William James Connor, his wife, child, and four brothers came next. The brothers were hale-looking fellows, and would have commanded high prices in any market south of Mason and Dixon's line it was said that they were the property of kendall major lewis who lived near laurel delaware it was known however that he never had any deed from the almighty but oppressed them without any just right to do so they were perfectly justifiable in leaving kendall major lewis and all his sympathizers to take care of themselves as best they could no very serious charges were made against lewis but on the contrary, they said that he had been looked upon as a moderate slaveholder. They also said that he had been a member of the Methodist Episcopal Church for 50 years and stood high in that body. Furthermore, they stated, that he sold slaves occasionally. Eight had been sold by him some time before this party escaped, two of them to Georgia. Besides, William James had been sold and barely found opportunity to escape. William James, Major Lewis, Dennis Betts, Peter, and Lazarus, with the wife and child of the former, not only found themselves stripped from day to day of their hard earnings, but fearful forebodings of the auction block were ever uppermost in their minds. While they spoke of Lewis as moderate, etc., they all said that he allowed no privileges to his slaves. Richard Williams gave a full account of himself, but only a meagre report was recorded. He said that he came from Richmond and left because he was on the point of being sold by John A. Smith, who owned him. He gave Smith credit for being a tolerable fair kind of a slaveholder, but added that his wife was a notoriously hard woman. She had made a very deep impression on Richard's mind by her treatment of him. In finding himself on free ground, however, with cheering prospects ahead, he did not stop to brood over the ills that he had suffered, but rejoiced heartily he left his wife, Julia, who was free. Sidney Hopkins and Henry Wheeler. These young men made their way out of slavery together. While Sidney lives, he will forever regard Jacob Hogue of Havre de Grace as the person who cheated him out of himself, and prevented him from becoming enlightened and educated. Henry, his companion, was also from Havre de Grace. He had had trouble with a man by the name of Amos Barnes, or, in other words, Barnes claimed to own him, just as he owned a horse or a mule, and daily controlled him in about the same manner that he would manage the animals above alluded to. Henry could find no justification for such treatment. He suffered greatly under the said Barnes, and finally his eyes were opened to see that there was an underground railroad for the benefit of all such slavery-sick souls as himself. So he got a ticket as soon as possible, and came through without accident, leaving Amos Barnes to do the best he could for a living. This candidate for Canada was twenty-one years of age, and a likely-looking boy. Joseph Henry Hill The spirit of freedom in this passenger was truly the one-idea notion. At the age of twenty-eight, his purpose to free himself by escaping on the Underground Railroad was successfully carried into effect, although not without difficulty joseph was a fair specimen of a man physically and mentally could read and write and thereby keep the run of matters of interest on the slavery question james thomas jr a tobacco merchant in richmond had joe down in his ledger as a marketable piece of property or a handy machine to save labor and make money to joe's great joy he heard the sound of the underground railroad bell in richmond had a satisfactory interview with the conductor, received a favorable response, and was soon a traveler on his way to Canada. He left his mother, a free woman, and two sisters in chains. He had been sold twice, but he never meant to be sold again. Arrival from Richmond, 1859, Cornelius Henry Johnson. Face Canada Ward for years. Quite an agreeable interview took place between Cornelius and the committee he gave his experience of slavery pretty fully and the committee enlightened him as to the workings of the underground railroad the value of freedom and the safety of canada as a refuge cornelius was a single man thirty-six years of age full black medium size and intelligent he stated that he had had his face set toward canada for a long while three times he had made an effort to get out of the prison house within the last four or five years times have gone pretty hard with me. My mistress, Mrs. Mary F. Price, had lately put me in charge of her brother, Samuel M. Bailey, a tobacco merchant of Richmond. Both believed in nothing as they did in slavery. They would sooner see a black man dead than free. They were about second class in society. He and his sister own well on to one hundred head, though within the last few years he has been thinning off the number by sale i was allowed one dollar a week for my board one dollar is the usual allowance for slaves in my situation on christmas week he allowed me no board money but made me a present of seventy-five cents my mistress added twenty-five cents which was the extent of their liberality i was well cared for when the slaves got sick he doctored them himself he was too stingy to employ a physician if they did not get well as soon as he thought they should he would order them to their work and if they did not go he would beat them my cousin was badly beat last year in the presence of his wife and he was right sick mr bailey was a member of st james church on fifth street and my mistress was a good communicant of the first baptist church on broad street she led on to be very good i am one of a family of sixteen my mother and eleven sisters and brothers are now living some have been sold to alabama and some to tennessee the rest are held in richmond my mother is now old but is still in the service of bailey he promised to take care of her in her old age and not compel her to labor so she is only required to cook and wash for a dozen slaves this they consider a great favor to the old grandmother it was only a year ago he cursed her and threatened her with a flogging i left for nothing else but because i was dissatisfied with slavery The threats of my master caused me to reflect on the North and South. I had an idea that I was not to die in slavery. I believed that God would assist me if I would try. I then made up my mind to put my case in the hands of God and start for the Underground Railroad. I bade good-bye to the old tobacco factory on 7th Street and the First African Baptist Church on Broad Street, where he belonged, where I had so often heard the minister preach, Servants, obey your masters also to the slave-pens, chain-gangs, and a cruel master and mistress, all of which I hoped to leave forever. But to bid good-bye to my old mother in chains was no easy job, and if my desire for freedom had not been as strong as my desire for life itself, I could never have stood it. But I felt that I could do her no good, could not help her if I stayed. As I was often threatened by my master with the auction-block, I felt I must give up all and escape from my life, Such was substantially the story of Cornelius Henry Johnson. He talked for an hour as one inspired, and as none but fugitive slaves could talk. End of section 13